you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of your career and life, to starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is the Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. Do you want to be happier in your career? Then I have a great session for you today. We're going to dive into that topic today and give you a tool that you can use in under 15 minutes with huge results. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Todd Churches, who is an executive coach, CEO, and lecturer at top schools like NYU and Columbia in New York. Todd's coaching model that he is going to share with us today is the most popular among those grad, uh, those grad classes. And Todd is also a TEDx speaker and a Marshall Goldsmith MG100 coach, as well as the author of the book, Visual Leadership, Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership and in Life. Todd, welcome to the summit. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Andy. I'm looking for helping people own own their life, own their, uh, their career and their life uh, through uh, finding their passion and their skill. Well, absolutely. And, and one of the reasons I put, uh, I wrote my book and started putting things like this together is because I heard a lot of messages out there from people saying, well, if you don't like your job, you just need to quit the nine to five and go start your own business, right? I'm sure you've heard this before. And that's not for everybody. What a lot of people want is they just want to have a career that is fulfilling, where they feel like they're doing something they enjoy. They feel like they're adding value. They're making an impact and they're appreciated. And yet, I feel like, and, and you probably have seen this in your studies, that you know there are a lot of people out there that are just completely unfulfilled and unhappy in their work. Uh, like, let's start there. How does that happen? How did we get to where we are? Yeah, I mean, most people don't start their job uh, first day saying, oh, I look forward to being miserable here, uh, right? So most people start a job with high hopes and, and aspirations. And a lot of the problem is a bad management and poor leadership. So that's one of the reasons, I don't know if you know that I hold the Guinness Book of World Record uh, for having the most uh, bad bosses of anyone who's ever uh, lived <laughs> on this planet. So having worked in the entertainment industry for a number of years, I'm from New York. I worked in advertising in New York for Ogilvy and Mather for a year, moved out to LA, worked a number of jobs in the entertainment industry, mainly administrative types of jobs for so Aaron Spelling, Columbia Pictures, uh, Disney and CBS. And one of the recurring, and then I was a project manager in the theme park business. One of the most, the recurring themes was just bad bosses, right? It's like we've all, a bad boss can literally ruin your life, right? And make you yeah. miserable. So you go in with high hopes and, and you, and you're dedicated. Um, one time I went into my boss at one of the TV networks, I won't say which one, but it has a C, a B and S in its name. So I went into my boss's office and I said, you know, she was really, I, there was so much stress and anxiety and tension. I said, can we talk for a minute? shut the door. I said, you know, if we could just communicate better, I said, I really want to do a good job here, but I feel like we're not communicating. There's a lot of tension. What can we do? How can we work better together? And she said, quit whining, get back to your desk and do your work. She said, when I had your job, I was cheated like crap and now it's your turn. And if you don't like it, I could replace you tomorrow. It's wow. like, how do you navigate that? Right. So it That's took tough. every ounce of courage to go and have this conversation. And that was her response. So, um, you know, but you know, those who have good bosses are very lucky and hopefully yeah. they appreciate it. And, and I've had both, right? I've had some really bad managers too. And I've had some great leaders who have helped me in my career, a couple of them. Uh, but you know, there's an example I go back to quite often that uh, I worked for a large insurance company and I felt 
unfulfilled in my job. And I felt like there was more I could be doing to leverage my strengths. And I went to my manager and said, Hey, I'm doing this now. I think if I did this other thing, I was out in the field working with people more, it would benefit both of us. And he basically said, no, get back to work. And, you know, it was disappointing at the time, but that is what led me to, you know, leaving that company and going out and finding more fulfilling work. So I'm glad that he turned me down, but At the same time, if we have managers who are supporting their people, who are looking for those opportunities, who are open to those conversations and coaching and giving feedback, uh, then we're going to find people not only finding more fulfilling work, but staying with their organizations longer and a lot more opportunities um, coming up. So it sounds like you you had some really challenging circumstances in your career. What led you to getting into the work that you're in now? Yeah, I mean, after years of working in the entertainment industry out in LA, I decided to move back to New York for a variety of personal reasons. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I got a job as, at a um, leading uh, a training company. And they asked me, are you capable of revamping our mini MBA program? It was a four week, four set, four week uh, mini MBA program. And even though I didn't have an MBA, I had managed for many years. So I dove headfirst into all these management leadership books. Many of them you could see behind me. And I got hooked and addicted on them. And I realized that most managers are not learning how to manage. They're not going through training. They're not getting coaching and they're not reading these books. Or if they are, they're not following them. So I got so obsessed with that, um, that I, my personal mission statement is making the world a better place, one leader at a time. And to me, everyone is a leader, even if you're just leading your own life, right? So if you start with that foundation, that's my approach. So even with my NYU and Columbia students, I'll ask the, the trick question, how many, here, how many people here are, are leaders? Raise your hand. And very few will raise your hand. And then I say, by the end of tonight's session, we're going to redefine and reframe what it means to be a leader. And then we ask this question again, and everyone will be raising their hand. So if you start to think of yourself as a leader, I think that will lead to you're leading yourself better and then leading other people better with empathy and compassion and understanding. So I think that's one of the key things is that we don't learn how to lead. And, yeah. um, and, and, but there are ways to do that. And it sounds like everybody has an opportunity to be a leader. So I want to talk about that, but I also want to make sure that we get to your model, uh, the passion skills matrix, uh, because I think it's really important to share that. There are a lot of people who are not very happy or fulfilled in their career, trying to figure out what to do. And in some cases, it's because of their manager. In other cases, it's because they just really haven't figured out what they want to do with their career. And it sounds like this can be really helpful. So uh, I wonder if you could describe that and maybe show us, uh, you know, how it works and let's see how we can help some people. Sure. I'm going to pull up on the screen right now. Now, this is a model I use with all my coaching clients, with all my coaching clients. And I um, just want to make sure, can you, there we go. Um, yep. And also with my students. And this is a, a real aha for a lot of people because they never really frame. One of the things I say, you know, the, the, um, the phrase, you know, thinking outside the box is a cliche, mm-hmm. but if you, cr- you can't think outside the box unless you have something in the box. So we're not talking about putting people in boxes, but we're talking about using a framework to conceptualize where you're spending your time, who you are, what you do. So if you look at the passion, passion skill matrix, along the left are your passions. So if you think about it as a continuum going from I don't like something to I like it, and across the bottom are your skills, and that goes from I'm not good at something to I'm good or great at it. And for those who look, like to quantify things, you can go from zero to five to 10. So in the upper right quadrant, if you things that you're good at or great at and like or love to do, that's our sweet spot, right? Right. That's where our time flies by. We're successful. People know us for these things. We just enjoy it. We're in the zone, right? In a state of flow when we're in our sweet spot. And it's great if you have had a chance to work in the job like that or do a hobby or something that fulfills both of those things, you know what that feels like. And the upper left is you're not good at something yet, but you like or love it or you aspire to be good in the zone. This is the growth zone. 
So this relates to, I came up with this years before I discovered Carol Dweck and her Mm. Uh, growth mindset, growth fixed mindset. mindset, but this is very consistent with that. And I've been talking about the word yet for many years before she popularized it. But there's a big difference between saying I'm not good at something versus I'm not good at something yet, right? Yeah. So that's your growth zone. That's your greatest area of potential because you have an interest or passion for it. The lower right is you're good or great, good or great at something, but you don't like it or love it. Maybe you used to be, and maybe you're burnt out, or maybe you just never did. But this is the default zone. This is where people, like I was an English literature major as an undergrad, so a pretty good reader and writer. So very often people would say, Todd, can you edit this for me? Todd, can you proofread this for me? Just because I'm good at it doesn't mean that that's where I want to spend all my time right. doing it, right? So by default, I got locked into that. And then in the lower left, if you're not good or great at something and you don't like it or love it, that's your failure zone. Because if you spend mm. your time in there and there's no hope for getting better, either learning to like it or getting better at something, you're kind of boxed in. If you've ever had a job, like years ago, a real life example, I took a job as vice president of business development for a web design company. I love the, the CEO. I love the culture. I love everything about it, the VP title and my highest salary but I'm not a biz dev person. So I threw myself into a job where I plunged myself into the failure zone for all the wrong reasons. Mm. And then after 90 days, the CEO and I basically decided, you know, we're still friends, but this just isn't working out. It's not right? working. I yeah. tried to get better at it. I tried to learn to love it. Even though I talk loud and fast, I'm a New Yorker, I'm an extreme introvert. So I always say I'm a three B's kind of guy, a back of the room behind the scenes bookworm. So to be a business <laughs> development sales guy was just out of my comfort zone. Yeah. So those are the four quadrants. And the key is to try to spend as much time as you can above the line. So by definition, if you're doing things in your sweet spot and growth zone, you're more likely to be successful and or happy or feel like you're progressing or growing. If you have a job where you're in your default zone or failure zone much of the time, by definition, you're not going to be that happy. So you can learn to love something. You can learn to get better at something. And the main example for me is presentation skills and public speaking. I was terrified of it and terrible at it. It was way down in my failure zone. But then I was thrown into a situation where I had no choice but to present. And I said, you know what? I'm not that bad at it. And I actually didn't hate it. And I took a Dale Carnegie public speaking course. And I worked at it. I inched my way into the growth zone. Now it's a sweet spot. Right. So mm. you can get from a failure zone to a sweet spot by taking that path through the growth zone, but also a sweet spot could call, turn into default zone if you don't keep your skills and your passions up. So it is like and then that could slide into a failure zone right. if you get too complacent. So that's the model in a nutshell. So I ask people to draw this, fill in the blanks and then think about where they're spending their time. And when I do this with teams, I basically have them all fill out what they're good at, what they like to do. We come mm. up with a team passion skill matrix, as I did here with one of my clients, and mm. then they read dis distributed roles and responsibilities. They try to get more people working in their growth and sweet spots. And it was really amazing how that transformed this entire team. So you want to spend as much time as possible above the line. And as Frederick Taylor said in 1911, people do best what they like best to do. And that sets us up for success. So that is the model in a nutshell. I just want to say, this is one of the chapters in my book, Visual Leadership, but viewers of, um, of the summit, if you go to toddchurches.com slash passion, you can download for free this chapter with my compliments. So that's my passion skill matrix in a nutshell. I like it. I like it. And it's, uh, you know, it's simple and powerful and, um, you know, reminds us that it's so important to be thinking about the work we're doing, whether we like it or we don't like it whether we're good at it or we're not you know, good at it, is this something we want to explore and, and improve at or do we want to make a shift and do something different? Uh, I wonder, you know, you mentioned briefly teams and use with your coaching clients. 
Uh, and I appreciate you sharing that, that link for people to get a free copy of this, and we'll make sure that we share that out as well. Um, could you share a specific example of maybe somebody you've worked with who had a realization from this that they were in one zone and maybe wanted to make some changes? Yeah, I mean, I mean, so many examples I can, like some of my students have the aha of, you know, maybe I'm in the wrong job or the wrong field. And sometimes people go into things like I did with that sales job for the wrong reasons. Um, so, I mean, one of my clients took a job where he had to present. And just like with my example, that was, wasn't a sweet spot, wasn't a skill, something that he was scared of. So is it like, are you not good at it because you're afraid of it? Or are you afraid of it because you're not good at it? Like, what was the reason? So once we dug down, little by little, when you get better at something, it really is a cycle. When you get better at something, you start to feel better about yourself and you build your confidence, which inspires you to take more risks, to try more things. And the comfort zone, um, I always talk about going from the comfort zone to the zone of the unknown. You don't know what you're good at until you try something. So you could think, oh, that looks great, sounds great, that's perfect for me. But then once you do it, you say, that's not really what I want to be doing, or uh, maybe I'm just not cut out at doing. It's like someone who's a great baseball player in high school or college, and then you get to the minor leagues and then try to get to the major leagues. You know, sometimes you reach a certain point in your potential where you say, you know, what? maybe I'm better in another, you know, as a coach, or maybe I'm better in another in another way. So I think a lot of it is a it's a it's a journey of self discovery and self self exploration um, to figure out. Um, when I was a kid, I talk about this in my TED talk. People would say to me when I was five, Todd, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, I want to be Superman. Yeah. They said, all right, well, if you can't be Superman, what's your backup plan? I said, Batman. So like when you're five years old, those right. are the only careers that you know about other than your father, who was an IRS agent. And I definitely yeah. didn't want to do that. I even knew that at age five. So <laughs> it takes a while. And you yeah. know, sometimes people in college feel like, oh, I need to pick one career right now. It's like, we're going to have five or 10 careers over the course of our lifetime. As mm. long as you learn, as long as you're growing and developing, um, I think, you know, you're, you're, you're moving, uh, Dory Clark, we were just talking about her and her book, the long game, right? It's the long game that we're playing. So you want to yeah. have short-term wins, but you're going to have short-term losses on, along your career path. And, um, the metaphor of the career path, I do a lot of work around visual language. It's not a career path. It's a career roller coaster of ups and downs, twists and turns, exhilarating highs and terrifying right. plummets. Right. I, I know very few people other than people along a lawyer or a doctor track who have a very linear step by step kind of career. So it really is about trying different things and seeing where, where you fit and where your passions and skills lie. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Dory Clark and the long game. And you mentioned Carol, Dr. Carol Dweck, who wrote the book Mindset. And she talks about fixed mindset versus growth mindset because there's a lot of growing opportunities here. And uh, it reminds me of another mantra that I often uh, share with, with people and just in a training program I was running earlier today that, you know, a lot of people talk about follow your passion, but what about follow your curiosity, right? Because you might be interested in, a, in something and you might say, well, I'm not good at it right now or yet. Like you said, I love that you use that strategically because saying I'm not good at something is defining versus that's an area for improvement for me. Um, I'm curious. I feel like there's a fine line sometimes where, you know, you talk about uh, something like public speaking, if you don't have that much experience and you say, well, I'm not good at it yet. Uh, and to start, you might say, I don't, I don't like it. I'm terrified of it. I get really nervous. Um, and, but, but then again, the reason you don't like it is because you're not good at it. Right. But if you practice it, you might find that as you improve, you do get better at it. So how do you, how do you kind of differentiate between I don't enjoy something because I know I just don't like it versus I'm, you know, because I'm not succeeding, I'm not enjoying it, but I probably could enjoy it more if I did. Yeah. It's kind of like my mother used to say with foods, with new foods, like try it. 
the worst thing happens, you don't like it, spit it out, right? right? But you don't know until you try it, right? So with some things, yeah, again, you want to minimize risk and you don't want to bite off more than you could chew, but you could try to do public speaking in a low risk, low stakes environment. You could take a public speaking course or go to a to Toastmasters thing or talk about something. When people say I'm not a good public speaker, it's, you know, the fear is when you're talking about something that you're excited about or passionate about, it just comes out. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking to one person or a hundred people. But even for me, even though I reached the point in my career where I teach at NYU in Columbia, I could speak in front of many people. When I was doing my TED talk, I went back into like the failure, not, well, not the failure zone, but I was a successful and experienced public speaker, but I magnified, I elevated a TED talk to such a level that yeah. I was actually scaring myself. Right. So I had, a, I read the books on how to do a TED talk. I actually, you know, practice on a little red circle just to know what it felt like to be on the red carpet of, of the red circular rug of, of TEDx. So there are going to be setbacks and yeah, there's imposter syndrome, which is one of the hot topics out there, right? Thinking, oh, I'm not worthy or who am I to be writing a book? Who am I to be doing a TED yeah, talk? Other people think you're good at something, but yeah. you don't think you're good at yeah. it, right? You think that they're going to find, figure you out, right? Yeah. So you've got to find a way to move past that as well. Yeah, Bill Nye, the science guy, one of his sayings is that everyone you will ever meet knows something you don't, right? So I always say that to my students, because if you're a 25-year-old female student from Beijing, you may say, what do I have to teach you as my professor? It's like, I can learn so much from you. I've never been in your shoes, right? So right. every experience. So if you go at it, like everything, every one of my life experiences is a story, right? That could be shared, that has lessons in it. And uh, that's, the, so it's a lot, a lot of it is reframing, right? A lot of it is that self-doubt, but reframing that, hey, I have something to give, I have something to share. Um, and Seth Godin, though, he says, you don't have to please everyone, you just have to please someone, right? So you're not, not everyone's going to love what you do. Not everyone's right. going to love your book or your talk or whatever, yeah. but if it resonates with one or a hundred people, then you're making an impact on the world. Now, I, I want to make sure we give some people, give people some concrete advice. So um, let, let's take like the 25-year-old, a uh, professional who is maybe three years into their working career and, you know, has a decent job, but is thinking there must be more for me. I don't know what it is, but I, I want to find something that I really love doing. Um, I like this idea of this matrix and I'm going to give some more thought to it, but what are some things that I can do or they can do to find more fulfilling work? As you say, um, do what you love and, and love what you do, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing is when you start on your career, Go in with an attitude like that everything's a learning experience and you may not love it and you may not like it. The best job I have, one of the best jobs I ever had was working for a company that I had no interest in. A friend of mine who used to be, uh, he was a colleague of mine and he became the head of learning and development for a, a Wall Street uh, fintech company, financial services and technology, which on my list of industries to work in was at the very bottom. Um, I come out of the entertainment and advertising and media. And he offered me a job to head up their leadership institute and design the whole leadership program. But I just didn't want to work for a Wall Street company. But I took that job They had a very unique dot com kind of culture. And it was one of the greatest jobs. I had the most freedom. I had the most autonomy. I had the most creativity. And I launched this whole leadership institute. And if I hadn't done that, I never would have been, um, been offered the job to teach at NYU. And that led to my teaching at Columbia. So taking that job that I really you know, my wife said, take it. The worst thing that happens is you leave. It didn't work out or whatever, right. but I did, I took it and it changed the course of my career. So you just never know. So try anything, dip your toe in, push yourself, raise your hand, speak up and say, Hey, I'll, you know, find something, you know, sometimes we we start with a passion, but I love what you said, start with curiosity and Follow maybe you'll curiosity, develop, a, yeah. develop a passion for something you didn't even know you had an interest in. Right. Or all, we got to keep an open mind because you never know you try something and you find out that you love it. Uh, I, I have a, you know, a great example. I shared a post on LinkedIn 
recently about a good friend of mine who just took a job in an industry that he didn't even know existed, yeah. you know, seven, eight months ago and, and just like went into it and all of a sudden discovered this huge passion for it by following his curiosity. And now he's going to be working in it and he's like yeah. over the moon. And, but you, you don't know, unless you go talk to people, you ask questions, you keep an open mind, you try different stuff. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but I wanted to um, jump into a couple other topics real quick. Uh, I know that in your book and other places, you talk about the importance of um, leveraging feedback and you know, giving and receiving feedback. I wonder how can we use feedback to help us you know, improve in our career and find that work we love? Yeah, when we get feedback that we don't wanna hear, it's very hard to either dismiss it or excuse it. But um, feedback is, a, you know, that, that cliche, feedback is a gift and you can, yeah. like any gift, you can throw it in the trash, you can consider the right, thought you don't have to keep it. it. So <laughs> might there be a nugget or a kernel of something we could learn to take from it? Even if it's just one person's biased opinion, it's information, it's data, right? So that's one of the ways I try to get people. And even for myself, I got some feedback yesterday that I didn't love and now I'm processing how to address it. But you know, what can I learn from it? Does the person have a point? You know, how could I not be defensive and how am I going to address this in a productive way? So I think yeah. that's- uh, Should know, we be again, seeking more feedback from people in our careers, either managers, friends, colleagues around us to say like, hey, what do you see for me? Yeah, feedback is data, feedback is information. And again, we could do what we want with it. But if we start to see trends and patterns, um, it may be telling us something, right? Um, so I just want to mention in my book, chapter 51, I talk about the different stages, the seven stages we go through in our career. And just real quick, when we're in our teens and 20s, we're in the ages of exploration and experimentation. Everything's new, right? We, we haven't been in the workforce, learn from everything. In ages 30 and 40, it's the ages of self-actualization and expertise. We're learning, we're growing, we're try, finally figuring out what we're good at, where our aptitudes lie. And again, the world is changing, so we need to change with it. And ages 50, 60, 50 and 60 plus, the ages of mastery and wisdom, that's where you basically are able to connect the dots. You have a bigger picture perspective. You can be a mentor of the people. But the key is to always be a continuous learner. I think that's the key, regardless of where we are in our life and career. I've been doing this for 30 years, but that's why I'm an obsessive reader. I, obsess, you know, I love learning from people. So I think that's the key thing is one of my mantras is in an ever-changing world, if you're standing still, you're falling behind because the rest mm -hmm. of the world is spinning faster than ever before. Yeah. So I think that's the key thing. Keep learning and growing and and becoming you know, your best self, whatever that's going to end up being. Yeah, totally. I agree with that 100%. I think the, the, the pace of change is faster than it's ever been and, and the slower than it's ever going to be in the future. It's getting faster, right? And we've got to keep up. It's one of the things that I have a chapter in my book about the importance of investing in continuous learning. And I know you're a big fan of that. So can you touch on that real quick? Before we started recording, you told me that you read on average one business book per week, and that may not be possible for a lot of people, but uh, I know if you dedicate time and you, be, you become intentional about your learning, whether it's books or podcasts or courses, whatever, that you can spend a lot of time learning and keep up with what's going on. Yeah, I've been reading an average of one a week. So some weeks I'll read three and other weeks I'll read none. But I always have two or three books on my nightstand. But um, yeah, there's so much. To, and if it's not books, there's articles. There, is, there are blog posts. Watch a TED Talk every day. It's 18 minutes or less, right? So it's like we can continuously find, you know, give yourself a half hour a day to learn something new. Right. So I think that's the key thing. It's like some people say, oh, I don't have time to write, read a whole book. I'm so busy. But you can read a chapter on a bus or a train or whatever. Um, so we can't do it if we're dedicated to it. And um, I always talk in terms of insights, actions and outcomes. Whatever happens, 
Think in terms of insight, what did I learn? Action, what am I gonna do with it? And outcome, how is this gonna change something, either myself or someone else for the better, right? So if you always think of, look at everything as a teachable moment and a learning opportunity, and I love you what you said, I have a, it's not here, it's at my other office, but my little curious George doll, doll that sits on my desk reminds me, always ask why, always dig deeper, always, I'm constantly looking stuff up on etymology.com to get word origins or look, Googling things to find out more about so-and-so. So really, you know, with our phone, we could be learning at any other, you know, in a second's notice, just yeah. look stuff up and, and make a mental note and um, share knowledge with each other. The opportunity is there. Okay. Last question, uh, Todd. Uh, when we started this interview, we were talking about bad managers and then you talked about leadership and how anybody can really be a leader. Uh, so for those watching and listening who are managers uh, or who you know aspire to be better leaders and help those around them to uh, improve their own careers, right? And achieve more career success, maybe find their passion and the work that they love. What are some things that leaders can do to help people around us? Yeah. Well, the first thing is realize that leadership is not about you. It's about other people mm. and the people that you're leading. And um, on the cover of my book is a rainbow colored eye. And the rainbow represents two things. It represents diversity and inclusion. The fact that no one in the world sees the world through the same lens that you do. And innovation and creativity, use all the colors in the crayon box, or all the colors of the rainbow to find new and different and innovative ways of learning and of leading. And my other concept is what I call flipping the eye, which is to turn the eye on ourselves, look internally at our belief systems, biases, assumptions, paradigms, and realize that the way we view the world may be different from what other people do. And our job as leaders is to help other people turn their visions into realities. And that's our main responsibility is to help foster the next generation of leaders. So if you do that, you are a leader almost without even realizing it, right? If you help someone else lead and ask them, you know, what is your vision? Where do you see yourself? Um, and I love the quote from Marcel Proust that I use in my TED talk, that the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new lands, but in seeing with new eyes. So leaders mm -hmm. need to learn how to see the world through the lens of the people who they're leading, and they will that will make them more effective leaders. I love it, Todd. Uh, this has been great for anybody who wants to get a free chapter of your book, as you mentioned earlier, uh, to get that matrix or get in touch with you, where is the best place for them to go? Yeah, just go to toddchurches.com slash passion for the free chapter on the passion skill matrix. And then I live on LinkedIn. So just tell me you saw me, just say you saw me on Andy's show and, uh, and link in with me and we'll follow each other and continue the conversation. There it is. Uh, connect with Todd on LinkedIn. Make sure you go to his website to get uh, toddchurches.com slash passion to get that free chapter. Uh, and make sure that you tune in for our next session. We've got a lot of great sessions still remaining in this summit. Uh, so stay tuned. But today we talked about a lot of great things, including how to find the passion, the work that you love, following your curiosity. Um, we talked about, you know, that that sort of passion versus skill matrix and the different areas where you can find yourself in and how we want to get up to that top right uh, to that you know zone where we really love what we're doing and we feel like we're really good at it as well. Uh, so make sure you go get that, uh, that free gift from Todd. Todd, thank you again for being on. I appreciate it. And thanks again, everybody for watching. We'll see you on the next one.